You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, teacher, photographer, mom, and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is April 10th, 2022, and this is episode 168 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear an interview with Linda Warner, longtime board member for the Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association in Rhode Island. Before we get to that, Michelle, uh, let me congratulate you on your new college degree. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. I've worked very hard for the last few years, and I'm finally done now. I know you've worked so hard. It's, it's so great. I'm so happy for you. So are, are, will you be taking part in a graduation ceremony? Yes. Um, graduation is Sunday, May 22nd, and I will be graduating with highest honors, which I'm pretty excited about. Wow. Um, to, you know, that all that hard work really did pay off. And then I'll start applying for teaching jobs. So, you know, for next school year. Yeah. So, uh, so what sort of uh, teaching jobs are you looking for? Um, I'm going to be a special ed teacher, Mm -hmm. either English or special ed. I'm leaning towards special ed because special ed has a special place in my heart. So I think that's the way I'm going to stay, but we'll see what happens. So. Yeah. Well, I just think it's all so great, and uh, I congratulate you on everything. Thank uh, you. You decided to become a teacher after raising three great kids. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying you did it later in life because you're you're still young. You're just a kid, but you did it later in life than most people, and I, yes. I think that's extremely commendable. Yep. I turned 50 in October, and now here I am graduating from college in May. So 50 is is very young. So you'll have a. <laughs> A long, long teaching career ahead of you, I'm sure. Yes. So that's, that's fantastic. So to switch uh, gears a little bit here, Michelle, has anything happened, anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history? As a matter of fact, yes. On April 10th, 1903, a pair of wooden lighthouses on Lovells Island in Boston Harbor, Massachusetts, began service. The two lighthouses served as range lights to help guide shipping traffic into the inner harbor. The lights were discontinued and the station was demolished in 1939, except for an oil house. The ruins of the oil house still stand on Lovells Island. Uh, Charles Jennings was keeper of the range lights on Lovells from 1919 to 1939. His son, Harold, later wrote a book called The Lighthouse Family about the Jennings family's years on the island. I knew Harold. I was lucky enough to do walking tours on the island with him a couple of times. Harold found old coins on the island dating back to the 1600s, and his father found a bunch of old coins when he was digging in his garden on the island. Some people thought that Charles Jennings had actually found coins from the French warship Magnifique, which was wrecked at Lovells Island in 1782. So, Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Beavertail Lighthouse and our guest, Linda Warner. Sure, Jeremy. Connecticut Island, about 6,000 acres, is the second largest island in the state of Rhode Island. The town of Jamestown comprises the entire island, which is connected by bridges to North Kingstown and Newport. Beavertail Point at the southern peninsula of the island got its name because it's thought to resemble a beaver in shape, with the head at its northern end and the tail at the southern end. Beavertail is in a strategic position that marks the entrances to both the east and west passages of busy Narragansett Bay. 
A watch house was erected at Beavertail by 1705, and then a lighted beacon was erected in 1712. In 1719, a cannon was placed at the point to serve as a fog signal. With foreign trade blossoming from Newport, local merchants petitioned for a true lighthouse, and a 69-foot-tall wooden tower was first lighted in 1749. The first lighthouse tower was destroyed by fire in July 1753, but it was soon rebuilt. The first and second towers were designed by Peter Harrison, a former sea captain who is sometimes referred to as America's first architect. Beavertail Lighthouse was ceded to the federal government in 1793. An 1851 report showed Beavertail Lighthouse to be the, quote, worst built tower yet seen, unquote. Funds were appropriated for a new lighthouse and fog signal. A new tower was built in 1856, and the 45-foot square granite tower still stands. The lantern originally held a third-order Fresnel lens. Carl Chellis became the keeper in January 1938. He had the misfortune to be at the light station for the worst storm in recorded New England history, the hurricane of September 21, 1938. The hurricane damaged most of the buildings at Beavertail, and also exposed the foundation of the original 1749 tower, 100 feet from the new tower. Beavertail Light was automated and de-staffed in 1972. It's now located within Beavertail State Park, while the light itself remains an active aid to navigation and is maintained by the Coast Guard. The Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association, founded in 1993, preserves and manages the light station. The Beavertail Lighthouse Museum occupies two former keepers' houses and two other buildings. Linda Warner is the former president and a current board member of the Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association. Linda and her late husband George were honored in 2015 by the Newport County League of Women Voters as the recipients of their Joan C. Arnold Civic Participation Award for their decades of volunteerism in the area, especially at Beavertail. I've known Linda Warner for quite a few years, and it was a pleasure to speak with her recently via Zoom. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Linda Warner of the Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association in Jamestown, Rhode Island. Thank you so much for being with me today, Linda. Very happy to be here. Well, I, I really appreciate it. It's nice to see you. Uh, as we were just chatting, I was realizing I haven't been to Beavertail Lighthouse in probably, I'm going to say around five years now, which is unusual for me. I've been there many, many times over the years, going back to the late 1980s. And I have so many good memories of, of visits there over the years. And sometimes I've been there with tour groups. Everybody at the Lighthouse Museum has always been so nice to me. And welcoming, and uh, you know, and the, the groups I've brought there have really enjoyed it. So I want to thank you and everybody there for that. Mm -hmm. Before we we get started here with the the interview, so uh, thank you for for all those wonderful visits, Linda. I know you're a you're a native of Jamestown, Rhode Island. How did you first get involved with Beavertail Lighthouse? I got involved when the the State Parks Association was just getting it formed. My dad was very involved and, and that, you know, got me involved and, and uh, I've stayed with it all these years. Yeah. And of course, your, your husband, George, was also very involved. Yes. Yeah. You've been a president at times, right, over the yes. years? And your yes. husband, George, was also president for he a time? He was also president, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I have a nice picture of him standing at the top of the lighthouse during one of my, my visits there. Right. I know you've done other volunteering around Jamestown. 
in addition to the lighthouse. So can you just say a little bit about what other things you've done around the community there? I volunteer with the Jamestown Historical Society. They're a very active uh, society here. I've done different things. I've donated a lot of things to them that my mom had saved. And uh, recently, I uh, during COVID, I sorted through an old 1820 desk and found a lot of old Jamestown things that they were very happy to have. And I help in, in the museum when I can, not, yeah. not during Beaver Tail busy time. So that, that's one of the things I do. And then I also belong to the Jamestown a Garden Club. It's called the Quinonaquit Garden Club. I volunteer with them. I'm an honorary member now, but I still work in a garden at the fire station that we planted many years ago. Do you do any gardening at Beavertail Light Station? I don't because up until now where we've been kind of waiting to hear what's going to happen. And uh, so we, we, I have always done a couple of barrels, but I, I don't actually plant plants in gardens. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the, the history of uh, the Beavertail Light Station. It's got a very long history, of course. It's actually the third oldest light station in the country. Uh, after Boston Light, 1716, Brant Point on Nantucket, uh, 1746, Beavertail uh, was established in 1749, the first lighthouse there. It makes it the third oldest light station in the country. Why was Beavertail such an important place for a lighthouse? It was important because Newport was a very important port in early times. And the business people in Newport, they were importing things got tired of their ships going on the rocks. And so they put a tariff on goods coming into the country to build the lighthouse. And uh, it's in a very strategic location. It divides the west and east passages of Narragansett Bay. Uh, so uh, it's uh, the first important light people would see coming into Narragansett Bay. Is that correct? Uh, yes. As you actually come into the bay, it is. And the water on the east side of the bay is quite deep as you come up through the the uh, channel where on the west side it's it's quite shallow right in the middle out under the new the jamestown bridge it's only about 15 foot deep in places yeah and the east passage of the bay would be the the primary way into uh, newport of course right yes yeah. yeah. Now, uh, there's there's a lot. Obviously, there's more than 200 years of history there. So there's a lot we could talk about. But there were some interesting keepers who lived there over the years, uh, keepers and families. It was always a family light station uh, from the 1700s, uh, well into the 1900s. Are there any particular stories of uh, life there, keepers and families that kind of stand out for you? Well, the keeper that was there in 1938 during the hurricane of 38, lost his daughter along yep. with other school kids. And I ended up going to all through school with one of his sons that was born after that. And he's also a volunteer there at the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And the keeper uh, was uh, Carl Chellis. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
and his son who volunteers at the lighthouse. What's his yes, name? Yes, that's Richard Chalice. Richard, yeah, I met him uh, some years ago. I took a nice picture of him next to the the Fresnel lens that's on display in the museum there. So that's that's quite a, a great uh, tradition that you know that he's volunteering there. Since you you brought that up, the hurricane of '38. Do you want to say a little bit more specifically about what happened at the light station and and close by? I know just a little background for anybody listening who might not know. The hurricane of September 21st, 1938, was the worst hurricane in recorded New England history. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 people died, uh, largely in Rhode Island, the south facing coast of New England, and uh, just tremendous damage all along the coast. But do you want to say a little bit more specifically of what happened uh, around uh, Jamestown and Beavertail? Uh, right. Uh, during the hurricane, Beavertail took quite a beating, but the buildings actually were not significantly damaged. A uh, garage out and back was knocked down. And it, it uh, did uncover the base of the original 1749 lighthouse. And mm -hmm. I find that very interesting uh, because at the time, no one knew that that foundation was there. It had been covered up when the light was built in uh, 1856. So by 1938, there weren't too many people around who knew that, that that was still there. And when it was uncovered, it was found to be in, in really rather good condition. Yeah. And that's preserved now, right? I know uh, some years ago, there was a project to kind of uh, shore it up, I guess, and preserve it as well as it can be preserved. So when people visit there, they can actually walk out on that that base of that original lighthouse, right? Well, we asked them not to walk on it. Oh, okay. He used to be able to. <laughs> well, they yeah. did. They did. And uh, once we repaired it, we thought it was better not to, but they still do. And yeah. it's just one of those things, you know, it's like they act as though that's the only place where they could get to see anything where yeah. they can really go on any of the rocks. Right. Well, it's a nice, convenient, flat platform yes. <laughs> to walk out on. Maybe you should uh, fence it off or something. But yeah. uh, I know uh, early in the, the, not too long after it had been uh, worked on, I think I walked on it, but I won't do it again, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so also in the Hurricane of 38, I, I believe uh, the assistant keeper, Donahue, I believe, uh, yes. Was he in that? I think he was in that garage you mentioned that he basically he I think he he described it as be, he was like swept into the water, but managed to get back. I think. It, do I remember right? Was his son with him also when that happened? Uh, his son was was there and ended up rescuing him. Oh, right. OK. He yeah. got thrown back from the sea and his son uh, rescued him. Yeah. Yeah. And you alluded to it earlier, but the daughter of Keeper Chellis was actually in a school bus that was washed off the, the road and uh, she died. I know the, the driver tried to save her and couldn't. Do I have that correct? Yes. Yes. He, he wanted to get the children off the bus because it was stalled. He couldn't get any further. So he took the children off the bus, had them hold hands, make a chain. And unfortunately, a very large wave came and lost he lost all but one and the one person that survived was the keeper's son right but the keeper chellis's son who survived that is not the same son who volunteers at your museum today right no, no. his younger brother is your volunteer is that right yes yeah yes. 
I believe the one who survived, uh, if I remember right, uh, sadly died in an accident, thought not that much later. Yes. Yeah. When he was in the Navy. So, uh, of course, uh, it's taken a beating in a, a number of storms over the years. And uh, one of the last keepers, uh, Dominic Torillo. Right. Was there right. with uh, who's there for, for quite a quite a few years, the early 50s uh, to about 1970. He had he and his wife had 11 children. I they think they're for the hurricane in 1954. And that's they, that's quite a story. They were. And he was concerned that the tower could come down or something could collapse on his side. And so he moved the children to the other actual uh, assistant keeper's house. And his daughter was down one day and I was leading the group that was getting ready to climb the tower. And so I said, well, why don't you talk to these people? And she did. And she told them how her father put them out through a window and then they could get to the back door in the other other building. Wow. What, a, what an incredible experience. But they all they all survived that. Which was yes. The important thing. So is it Linda? Is Linda? Is that her name? Yes. The daughter of the keeper? Yeah. Right. Um, is she still involved? She isn't, but she does come down occasionally and uh, yeah. say hello. <laughs> yep. I've had some contact with her in the past. Oh, good. Yeah. I think when I was working on my Rhode Island uh, lighthouse book. So let's just uh, touch on the, the fog signals there over the years. There's quite a history of various, uh, I'm not even sure how many, I think it's at least five or six different fog signals that were in operation there over the years. I don't know if you know the number, but quite an interesting history. It had one of the earliest uh, fog signals, a, a cannon originally. They used Beaver Tail as an experimental uh, site for fog signals. And they also at one time had one that was operated by a horse were walking on a treadmill. And we have a model of that in the lighthouse now for people wow. to see. Yeah. Um, and at times it was very hard to hear the signal uh, over on the mainland on the west side. And they had a large steamship that went aground mm -hmm. uh, over near Narragansett. The signal that used the literal horsepower there, the mm -hmm. horse uh, walking, I think it was like in a circle, right? Or the, to power, or was on a tread on a treadmill yes. type thing? Okay. You know, I, I walk in a treadmill at Planet Fitness and sometimes <laughs> I feel like I that all that power is going to waste. It should be hooked up <laughs> right. to, to right. something. I should be able to save all that, that energy. <laughs> but that's pretty incredible. But I think it wasn't all that long, right? Just like a year or two or something like that, they used yes. that system? Yes. And I'm sure the horse was happy to be done with that job. Absolutely. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah, they but, probably went through a, through a few horses in that. In that right. Period. And, and at one time, I understand, I'm not sure if it was at Beavertail, but they had a dog that would bark all the time when it was foggy. And, well, there were a few that that in Maine, there were a few of those. I call them fog dogs. There were some yeah. that learned to pull the rope that you could pull oh. a manually pull a rope to sound the bell. And some of the dogs learned to grab it in their teeth and pull the rope to sound the bell. But there were at least a couple of dogs in Maine that would bark in the fog and that right. helped warn the vessels away from the, the shore. I don't know if Beavertail had that. No, I don't know that. Yeah, I'm sure there were dogs there over the years. Do you know anything oh, yeah. about the history of animals at, at Beavertail pets? Well, I can remember when uh, Ronald Bajensky and his family were based there, and they had a Dalmatian named, mm -hmm. of course, Spot. Of course. And <laughs> Spot would, would uh, 
love to come in the living room and, and uh, lie there with us while we were watching television. My husband and I would go down there and visit the Bajenskis when he was not able to uh, leave because he was on duty, but we would go down and we would bring a large bottle of Pepsi and a bag of Fritos. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the necessities of life, I guess, right. Pepsi and Fritos. So let's skip ahead in, in history a bit. Uh, can you tell me the basics of how the Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association was formed and how, do the, how the museum came to be? Right. Uh, as I mentioned before, the State Parks Association founded the original uh, museum there, which was just in the keeper's house. It was basically two small exhibit rooms and a little area that we used for a gift shop. It was staffed by volunteers. I don't think it was open the amount that we've been open all this time, but my dad was in charge of the volunteers at that time. And, and uh, so it was that, you know, kind of got me involved too. Yeah. And when uh, BLMA was formed in, 90, in 1993, in order to uh, hand it off to a group that could do this because the Parks Association couldn't handle it. So our group was formed. I was the first vice president. It was a small group at the time, but we have certainly grown and uh, done a lot over those years. And now uh, we use the entire keepers and the assistant keepers house, as well as the oil house and the tower and, you know, the, the base of the tower. I haven't been there since before you expanded. It was only in uh, the one house when I was there so many times over the years. And uh expanded into the the two houses now so i look forward to seeing uh, how much how much is there how much more is there now so uh can you tell us a little bit about the museum if people visit there what will they see we have a finnell lens that is our pride and joy which really doesn't belong to us but we have it on loan for the coast guard and that room is is uh, pretty much that type of exhibits there. We have a lot of boards, sign boards. Our docent volunteer board member, Vajan Karentz, has had a lot to do with helping to uh, get all the material together for those. And we've added a lot of new ones and changed them over the years. We also have some out in the oil house and we have one of the old lenses that was replaced just a few years ago out there. Yeah. And there's exhibits on other lighthouses in Rhode Island as well, right? Yes, yeah. there are. And, and uh, we've come into the 21st century with exhibits uh, on computers. We have five computer screens and some of them are in real time. We have one that is devoted strictly to uh, shipwrecks. That's very interesting and uh, detailing so many of the shipwrecks. Yeah. And then we have uh, a large table that has I don't know exactly how many, but many different uh, things of beaver tail and other lighthouses and things connected with the island as well, mm -hmm. like the bridge being taken down from years ago. Yeah. 
So the old, the old Jamestown bridge. I remember they, didn't they kind of blow up the old bridge after they finished the new one next to it? They did and yeah. uh, created an artificial reef. Yeah. And uh, so it's uh, quite different. It's, it's nowhere near as scary as the old bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. So I need to get back there and see all the, uh, the expansion of the museum. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned Varjan Karenz, who uh, I've uh, visited with a number of times over the years and great guy uh, who's done a lot of research on the history there and wrote a, an excellent book on the history of Beaver Tail Lighthouse. So I just want to give a shout out to Varjan and uh, recommend his book to people, which I think is av available in your shop, of course, when the lighthouse is open. We also do a little bit of online uh, mm -hmm. selling, and that is one of the things that we do off okay. online. So I'll recommend that if people want to read the, a really good book on the history of Beavertail Lighthouse, go to your website and right. buy it through there. So you'll get more yes. of the, uh, the proceeds than they would yes. if they bought it on Amazon or something. Exactly. Um, yeah. What is the website for Beavertail Lighthouse? www.beavertaillight.org. Okay. Yeah. Beavertaillight.org. The, uh, the BLMA, the Beavertail Lighthouse Museum Association, has completed a number of restoration projects over the years. Can you just uh, maybe recap some of the highlights of that? What's, what's been done? One of the largest projects we did was the actual tower building. It had deteriorated to the point that we weren't allowed to let people go up there anymore. The ironwork had rusted so badly that you could literally stick your finger through some of the, the metal pieces. And uh, so we were very fortunate to get a grant from the Champlin Foundation and for $237,000, I believe, to restore the tower. And it was done by Abcor uh, mm -hmm. that has restored several lighthouses now. Yeah, I know Keith Lascarbo and yes. Abcor. I was just uh, at Palmham Rocks Lighthouse a couple of months ago, another lighthouse he's done a lot of work at, not too far from you up on the Providence River. He does uh, does great work. You mentioned the work on the tower. The The lighthouse tower itself is, as I understand it, not open all the time for climbing, but it is open sometimes. I'm wondering uh, what your plans are for the season. Will it be open on certain days? It will indeed. Uh, we try to have it open for uh, every other weekend, and it's usually a Saturday, but sometimes it's Sunday or a Monday holiday. Our first time this year will be on the Memorial Day weekend, on Memorial Day, and then every two weeks thereafter. Okay. And all those dates are available on our website. Okay, great. I know, uh, you know, lighthouse buffs and people listening to this podcast are, are pretty much lighthouse buffs. It's always a treat to actually climb a lighthouse when they visit. That's something a lot of them uh, like to do. And of course, a lot of our listeners are uh, also people who have the the lighthouse passport that the U.S. Lighthouse Society puts out. Yes. And I, I know you have the passport stamp for, for Beaver Tail there, right? We do. We do. Yes. I like to stress that our lighthouse is the most accessible lighthouse. In the state, I would say. Yes, it yeah. is. You don't have to take a, a boat to get to it. Uh, the parking is free. We're in a state park. So it's, it's really more accessible than any of the others. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And when people ask me if they say they're going to visit Rhode Island, you know, what lighthouse should they visit? Beaver Tail, of course, is always the first one I, I say, <laughs> both because it's a great place to visit and because it's so accessible. Uh, there's a couple of great lighthouses on Block Island, but you've got to take the ferry there. Yep. There's Rose, Rose Island Lighthouse in Newport. You have to take a ferry there. Uh, I recommend those, but if, if people have time to visit one lighthouse in Rhode Island, it's got to be Beavertail. I was going to mention also, speaking of other lighthouses in the area, one of the things you can see in the distance when you're at Beavertail is the remains of the old Whale Rock Lighthouse out in the West Passage of the Bay. And we were talking about the Hurricane of 38 earlier. The um, hurricane destroyed that lighthouse, knocked it right off its base, and the keeper, uh, Walter Eberly, was never found. So it's a very sad story, but it's interesting to be able to look out and see what remains, which isn't much, I think, at this point of the base of that lighthouse. And I was there for the dedication of a plaque at Beavertail, a plaque in memory of Walter Eberly, the keeper there. I spoke at that dedication. That was quite a few years ago now, but I believe that plaque is somewhere in your museum today. It is. It mm-hmm. is in, in uh, one of the rooms of the assistant keeper's house. Yeah. And uh, we really enjoyed that ceremony we had and with some of his children in attendance yeah yeah i believe they've all passed away since then i um, don't know yeah i believe they have i interviewed five of five of the six of his keeper of his children uh around uh close to 20 years ago now i interviewed them his oldest daughter was quite emotional remembering the the hurricane of course uh, and i think she, she was at your uh your event there yeah I was uh, re- looking through your your website, and uh, there's something called the courtyard uh, around the lighthouse the courtyard project. What that what's that all about? That is a project that is really just getting started now. We've replaced some of the brickwalk around the the lighthouse, and we've gotten grants and and gifts toward building the the courtyard and uh, that that's all coming it'll make it more handicap accessible and uh, all the buildings will will be that way mm-hmm. is it the type of thing where people can donate and have uh, a name put on a brick or anything like that that is something that we tried to do before but the coast guard wouldn't allow it at the time because they said if we no longer had the lighthouse, what would they do with all of these memorial bricks? But it wouldn't surprise me at all if we uh, didn't do that in the future. Yeah, And uh, we're also something we're hoping to get going on soon. Uh, we're waiting to get permission from the state to sell uh, license plates of beaver tail. And I really think they'll be extremely popular. Oh, yeah. I know there's been a a license plate for quite a few years for the Plum Beach Lighthouse. Correct. Which is officially officially in Jamestown also, right? There's Um, no. Is it? No, no. Actually, no, I guess that one wouldn't be. But there's there's a few lighthouses that are officially within the the borders of Jamestown. We do have uh, the lighthouse at the other end of the island, the Connecticut Point Lighthouse. Yeah. I think I think Dutch Island may also be officially within yes. the, the town uh, borders too. as well. Yes. Yeah. But uh, well, that's that's great news about the license plate. I hope that that happens. Let me ask you, are there any other restoration projects of any kind in the in the works at this point? We've just are in the process of doing a, a new master plan 
and they're doing a new master plan for the state park. And we're hoping to be able to mesh some of those things together and uh, make improvements that will help both of us. And of course, we still, the aquarium building is still there. And, and uh, that was talked years ago when I was on the Beavertail Advisory Committee years ago uh, about possibly the state building some sort of a welcome center or something in mm -hmm. the state park part of it. Yeah. And that might free up more space in the, the buildings. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about the, the future of the, the site between the, the state and your organization and everything, I know there's something that's been in the works for a while. The actual ownership of the light station will be transferred from the federal government uh, uh, under what's called the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act or NHLPA. What stage is that project at uh, at this point? We're just waiting to hear the final decision. Mm -hmm. uh, they had times in the fall when people who were interested in putting in a, a request for it could come and tour it and look things over. And But uh, the, they have certain procedures that they use. And a lot of people don't realize that and think it's just like free. <laughs> right. Oh, it'd be fun to own a lighthouse. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's a little more yeah. complicated than that. Were there many applications? Do you know? Do you happen to know if there were? Yes, I believe there were somewhere around 18 anyway. And and they said that was the most that they had had for any lighthouse. I haven't heard of anything close to that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> lighthouses that I've been involved with. If they, if they got more than one, it was just a, a very small number. Right. Yeah. People who were actually willing to go through all the trouble of uh, applying. But seems to me your organization is the obviously the logical new owner or the it'll be the state parks, right? Uh, the state, state parks. parks will be the, the state will own it. Yeah, we will administer it if right it goes the way we hope it will. Yeah, well, I hope so too. It certainly seems uh, very, very logical to me. So uh, we'll follow that uh, in the coming months. When is the Lighthouse Museum open? Uh, does it open Memorial Day weekend or is it sooner than that? It will be open starting on Memorial Day weekend on the Saturday. And then it will be open weekends only from 1.30 to 4.30 for a couple of weeks. Once we get to the middle of June, it will be open daily. And we hope to be open all day during the week. Last year, we were only able to be open in the afternoon. And so this year, we're hoping we'll get back to our full schedule of every day. Yeah. Well, it seems like that that would most likely be happening. So, and all that information's easily accessible on your website, of course, as yes. well, right? The open hours and everything. We've talked about the history of uh, various fog signals there, but there are also a number of different lights, uh, actual uh, different lenses and and lamps and things in the in the uh, lantern room of the lighthouse. Uh, there was a third order Fresnel lens there for a while, then a fourth order lens. And then there was a DCB aerobeacon type optic or rotating type of light that people often call an aerobeacon. And uh, that's what was there uh, all the many times I visited over the years, but that's gone now. Yes, and uh, in 2019, a, a new rotating 
much smaller VRB25 optic was installed. That's still there, I believe. How, yes, it is. How do people, how, yeah. The DCB is in the oil house. Is on display. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you were able to keep it. How do people like the, the smaller uh, VRB25? Um, most <laughs> of them aren't aware that it's really anything different. Yeah. Um, it, it just seems strange that they can get enough light from such a much smaller uh, yeah. object up there. Has there been any talk of uh, converting to an LED type light? Uh, I really don't know about that. I, yeah. haven't, I haven't heard. Yeah. It seems to be the, they've switched uh, most of the more offshore lights to LEDs, which are so yes. much easier to maintain and can use solar power, but there's not as much of a pressing need to do that at a place like yours. That's uh, uh, The uh, fog signal building or the fog signal itself is across the street. And that has changed from being on any time it was foggy to on call. Mm -hmm. as they've done in a lot of the lighthouses. Right, right. The Mariner activated system, yes. which, uh, you know, uh, and ever since that system was installed in a lot of these places, I almost never hear the, the horns anymore. You know, you, you almost never hear them in the fog. You might hear it on a sunny day when somebody going by in a boat wants to show off to a friend how they how, what they can do with their VHF radio and make the horn come on. Exactly. Is, that much the, is that the case there as well? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people miss that old sound, but the electronic sound was quite different from the older fog signals anyway. So Very that's, definitely. That's kind of passing into history, I'm afraid. You've had a lot of events there over the years, and I was uh, reading about part of the Newport Film Festival happened there a couple of years ago. That must have been interesting. Well, we had hoped to do that, but we ran into problems with COVID, oh. the whole thing. So it didn't but happen. We did have a night at the light as a fundraiser. And that was really uh, a very enjoyable time. And we had food that was donated from different uh, businesses in the area, not just Jamestown. And then we had a silent auction. We had the tower open and it was a very, very enjoyable tower climb that night because we had a full moon. Oh, sounds great. Do you have any plans for a similar event this year? Um, I don't. No, just what we're just really kind of getting going. Sure. And, uh, we had planned to have like a family day a couple of years ago and then COVID hit and that was the end of those plans. That was a lot of end of a lot of plans, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I should point out to people that we're actually speaking in early March, but they'll be hearing this a bit probably like a few weeks later, but it's still early in the planning uh, stage for, for this coming lighthouse season. You mentioned the road, the fog signal being on the other side of the road from the lighthouse. That road itself was was closed not too long ago, right? So cars can't drive around there anymore? That's correct. There's been so much erosion that it was deemed too dangerous to keep the road open. Mm -hmm. And so uh, people can park in the, in the state park and walk in to the lighthouse at will. Yeah, that's not too much of a, a hardship it's still. Not really. Easy. I just... Uh, some yeah. of the handicapped people. That's true. Problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm used to that road looping right around the, the lighthouse. That's quite, quite different. Uh, another thing I was, I was reading about online, I was uh, about the uh, QR tour. 
at the, the, the I guess the park, state parks has uh, put that uh, in? There, yes, there are QR codes uh, in quite a few places that tell some of the history. And it's nice because where we can't be open all the time, people can, can use their phones to check out the history. Yeah, well, that's neat. They have that sort of thing in a lot of museums and things. That's that's good to hear. So uh, you have you have I think you have some paid staff there, right? Or is it all volunteer? It's all volunteer. It's all volunteer. Yes. Okay, so the people yep. working in the shop and and everything, it's all volunteer. Yes. Are you in need of more volunteers? You're probably always in always we looking are for new always volunteers. in need of volunteers because if we're open every day. It takes a minimum of 28 people a week wow. just to be open. And then anytime the tower is open, that's another four people. Right. So we have two people at the top and one at the bottom. And then I, I call myself the traffic cop <laughs> yeah. because I control the people going up and down in groups. Yeah. Well, I know how it is, I, you know, being involved with uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse near me and being involved at tours in various places. I know it takes a takes an army to, to run these things. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I imagine there's there's contact information on your website. Right. If people are interested in volunteering. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're happy to hear. We've had some wonderful volunteers and everyone enjoys being there. Uh, we have people that come from Massachusetts to work, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're not all Jamestowners. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. So we've mentioned the website, again, beavertaillighthouse.org. And is there also a Facebook page for the organization? From- I believe we do have a Facebook page also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so people can check that out. Yep. I have one more question for you, and this one's for bonus points, Okay. <laughs> so get ready. What has been your personal favorite thing about your involvement with Beaver Tail Lighthouse? I just enjoy meeting so many people. Most people that come, in fact, just about all are happy to be there. We have just such a good time talking to people. And it's great fun when it's someone who lived here years ago and I remember them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, you know, get a kick out of uh, that sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's fun to meet people from all over the world. It's also, and I've experienced that too, where people who live right down the street from a lighthouse say, well, you know, I've never been actually visited close up here before. And, uh, it, you know, they're they're happy to be there for the first time. So that's, that's great. That's uh, true. We get yeah. people from Jamestown that say, you know, I've never been inside. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they've ridden around plenty of times, but just yeah. never come inside. And I'm sure you get people from uh, many, many foreign countries. Uh, we do. We have a yeah. guest book that people sign, and it's just fascinating to see where they're from and what they have have to say about, you know, they have room to put a little comment or something. Yeah. And uh, we, we get in excess of 30,000 people a year, which is astounding. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's got to be uh, possibly the most visited lighthouse in southern New England, I would say. South of Cape Cod, it would have to be the most visited lighthouse. Certainly, yes. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Because it, the ease of getting there and being able to park for the day, you could spend the whole day there. And it's, it's pretty special. <laughs> Great place to watch the surf hitting the, the rocks there. People love to do that. I was down there on Tuesday, I think, and no, mm-hmm. on Monday, and 
the surf was incredible. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it really is a special place. And again, if anybody's visiting New England or southern New England, visiting Rhode Island, it's a must-see. Certainly any lighthouse buff coming to southern New England absolutely has to go there. And uh, I have a lot of nice memories over the years. I was remembering the first time my wife and I went there in the late 80s during the time when uh, the houses were serving as housing and there was no museum there. Uh, there was no sign of anybody around. We were the only ones there on a beautiful day, uh, but a cat came out and greeted us. So I remember <laughs> that. So I think, right. I think I have pictures of that cat. That was circa probably 1988 or something like that. But so well, many. Mm-hmm. They, they took the uh, keepers away in what, 72. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't was, it used by the state for housing. It was or? the town picked people to live there. Mm-hmm. And they lived there free of charge, but they had chores they had to do out there. Yeah. But families uh, lived there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that cat was my first official greeter at the retail <laughs> lighthouse. So, Linda Warner, it's a real pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, I hope I can visit you down there sometime this season. Again, it's been, been a few years. It's been too long since I've been down there. Uh, but you and the organization just do a wonderful job. It's a special place. And I, I thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. To learn more about visiting the Beavertail Lighthouse and Museum, visit beavertaillight.org. There's also an online gift shop on the site. As I said in the interview with Linda, Beavertail is one of the best lighthouses to visit in southern New England. Any lighthouse fans coming to Rhode Island need to go there, and nearby Newport is a great city to visit with its famous mansions and other history. Thanks, as always, to the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its affiliates and chapters. Visit uslhs.org to learn more about everything the Society offers. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a donation to the Society to help support it. Regular listeners know that we sometimes do special Be a Lighthouse segments about people and organizations who are doing good things in our communities. I think most people know that there are many organizations working to help the people of Ukraine these days, but I just want to mention one right now. Ukrainian American House, which is based in California, has been working to provide critical humanitarian aid to the people of Ukraine. You can choose to donate to Ukrainian American House to help meet the need for basic medical supplies, or you can choose to donate to help provide supplies for the military defense of Ukraine. Go to uahouse.org. That's U-A-H-O-U-S-E dot org for more information and to donate. Thank you to Ukrainian American House for being a lighthouse in troubled times. The poet Maya Angelou once said, and I quote, nothing can dim the light that shines from within, end quote. In next week's episode of Lighthearted, we'll be talking about Huntington Harbor Lighthouse in New York and also about an exciting Zoom event the U.S. Lighthouse Society has coming up with the watercolor artist Jan Guarino. To all our faithful listeners and to our new ones, thanks for listening and keep a good light. <laughs>